Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of City of Champions, proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode of the show is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, your source for curiosity-driven coverage of our city cultivated by the community. Taproot publishes weekly roundups on a variety of topics, including media, food, tech, health innovation, music, business, and city council. Taproot's curators gather up the headlines and happenings on these files and deliver them to your inbox. I'm signed up for a couple of these, and they really are worthwhile and relevant to the city of Edmonton. Uh, You can get one or two for free, and if you want more, become a Taproot member. Then you can get as many as you want, plus other perks for just 10 bucks a month, or sign up for the year for 100 and save $20. Get informed at taprootedmonton.ca. Okay, everyone, here it is. The episode I've been waiting two years to record and share with you people. I mean, you all. My guest today is five-time Stanley Cup winner and Hockey Hall of Fame goaltender, Grant Fuhrer. You know, the records, championships, uh, they speak to what a prolific player Grant was. But as you'll quickly learn in the podcast, he's a pretty prolific human being as well. I had the pleasure of producing my first feature documentary on him, which is now available on iTunes. Please give it up for the star of Making Coco, the Grant Fuhr story, my friend, Mr. Grant Fuhr. Hot start here with uh, Grant Fuhr. Grant, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. I think you might have been the quickest confirm I've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> it, it worked out good. Like, yesterday I texted you. I'm like, hey, if you're in town in the next few months, like, can we get together? You're like, I'm actually in town tomorrow. <laughs> a few hours, it works. <laughs> well, yeah, Palm Springs was supposed to work, but I got delayed going in there, so that was kind of frustrating. Yeah, the weather's a little nicer there, but Edmonton's still good. <laughs> yeah, we make it work here. So... Let's get into it. 19 years in the league, six teams, six all-star appearances, five Stanley Cups, two gold medals, Vesna Trophy, and all capped off with a Hall of Fame induction. You know, some people say you're pretty accomplished as an athlete, but I want to know, like, what's life like as a movie star now? (laughs) I don't know about a movie star. Life as an athlete was good. Life with the movie has been pretty cool, actually. (laughs) To sit and be able to go through life a second time has actually been a lot of fun. Yeah, I know you said it's it's easier to go through the second time because uh, you've already lived it. Now it's just sort of rehashing it. But did anything from the film, what other people said, did that surprise you at all? Well, you never know what guys you play with think. So it was fun to see some of the different things that they had to say. And I mean, I was lucky enough to play with a lot of great teammates and stuff, but you never know what they really think. <laughs> So to see some of the interviews and stuff, we had a lot of fun with that. I think you're being modest. I think you knew everyone liked you. I get along with everybody, but you never know what they really think. So it was fun to see. You know, I, I said to a lot of people like about filming your documentary, um, the thing that amazed me, aside from all the records and aside from um, you know just the amazing, illustrious career that you had, was that not a single person had one bad word to say about you. Scary, isn't it? It's weird. Like, <laughs> like are you like you have voodoo going on with this? Like. It's, it, it is like, you know, from interacting with, you know, thousands of people a year, it's really hard for you not to just have one bad interaction, but literally no one had that bad interaction with you. Well, I got taught as a young kid that it's easy to be nice to people. So through my whole career, that's what you try and do. You try and be nice to people. And it's worked out so far. I get 50 some years out of it, so <laughs> must be all right. 
Yeah, but I mean, even like the highs and lows, you know, you know losing the teams, and although your teams did pretty well for the most part. I was going to say, we didn't lose a whole lot. <laughs> Some ups and downs a little bit, but nothing outrageous. So I want to know, have you caught anyone watching your film on an airplane yet? I've had a lot of people actually come up and say that they've watched it on the airplane. Yeah. I mean, they'll come out to the golf course and say, hey, we just watched your movie on the way out. Yeah. So that's been interesting to see. I hope you told them. Also buy it on iTunes. <laughs> oh, no, we've told them it's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. Right, we pointed out all the places they can see it. Yeah. What was your um, What was your favorite part of the film? Like going, Not the film itself, but the process of going through it. I think just some of the memories it brought back. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the fun, you forget some of the good stuff. Mm -hmm. I, the bad stuff you always remember, that's easy. But some of the good stuff you forget, some of the teammates, some of the fun we had. So it was fun to go back through some of the old film and actually see how much we really enjoyed playing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be hard because there's always that dressing room code, right? Like you don't, you want to give the stories, but you don't want to throw anyone under the bus and you don't, you don't want to share too much, right? Like how do you walk that line? Well, we just had fun playing. I mean, I think that was the biggest thing is we enjoyed each other's company and we enjoyed being at the rink every day. Mm -hmm. And you forget that sometimes, how much fun we actually had. So it was fun to look back, see some of the dressing room footage, that sort of thing. You realize how much fun we actually had. I can only imagine like how much of that footage they have nowadays, right? Like back then, a lot of your stuff was filmed, but now it's everything is filmed. Well, the fun part back then is we didn't realize it was filmed. Yeah. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're just having a good time. Yeah. The one with Wayne dancing, that, that was a classic. That's almost frightening. Do you remember that? Like, <laughs> when do. was that? Oh, God, that's going to be 83, 84, somewhere in there, mm -hmm. give or take. But we just had, we had fun. We enjoyed being on the ice. We enjoyed being in the rink. We enjoyed each other's company. And People don't realize how much fun we actually had. Yeah. I, I was going to say this to later, but let's get into some of, like, the top person X you played with. Like, so who's the funniest guy that you ever played with? Smeg's probably the funniest guy. Yeah. Serious, dry sense of humor, but when you needed a good laugh, Smeg always had a good laugh. Marty was a pretty funny guy. Kevin McClellan was pretty good. Mm -hmm. But we, we had a few characters in our room. <laughs> Who is the, the worst behaved when it comes to the rules of the team? I was going to say define worst behaved. <laughs> Let's go low key. Let's go <laughs> rules of the team. Like who is constantly late or who is just like, you know. Nobody was ever really late. Mm-hmm. Glenny Anderson might roll in five minutes before you're supposed to be on the ice, but he'd be the first guy on the ice. <laughs> so we had some guys that maybe pushed the gray line a little bit. But for the most part, everybody was always on time. It was something that Glenn taught us. You yeah. had to be on time. Mm -hmm. And we were pretty good about that. Who is the most serious guy you ever played with? Uh, probably my first year. I played with Stan Weir. Mm -hmm. Stan was pretty serious. Patty Hughes was pretty serious, too. Yeah. But, I mean... Most of our guys were pretty laid back. Yeah, a couple of the veterans were a little bit serious my first couple of years, but they were also trained that way. Mm -hmm. So but with our group of guys, they were all good. Did the serious guys, as sort of the, the younger guys come in, did they sort of start backing off a little bit? Did they kind of mellow out? It's not that they backed off. It's They taught us you had to be on time. Mm -hmm. You had to practice hard. You had to play hard. So they were good veterans for us to be around. Mm -hmm. Who was the biggest prankster you ever played with? Oh, jeez. Other than yourself. <laughs> Marty was pretty good. Esatikin uh, was pretty... He was sneaky sometimes. Yeah. Kevin McCullen was good. Mm -hmm. I, Kenny Lindsman was pretty good about it. Glennie Anderson could be... I mean, we had a lot of guys that could kind of step into that role. What are some of the all-time pranks you remember? 
Oh, what are our best pranks? Well, Tiki got caught a little thing called shoeshine. Yeah. And we were in Boston for the finals. And there was a lady that worked for the team that traveled with us, and she had open-toed shoes. Tiki thought it'd be a really good idea to shoeshine her, not realizing she had open-toed shoes. So that was not a big seller. He also tried to get uh, President Ford. No way. Oh, yeah, he tried to crawl under the table, not realizing that good chance Secret Service might shoot you. <laughs> but he did try it. Yeah, they think he's a foreign foreign assassin. So well, we had some good times. The shoe shine, what would they put on the shoes? Whatever was available. Ketchup, Tabasco <laughs> sauce, Worcestershire, whatever happened to be available. Yeah. Who, uh, who had the biggest temper? Uh, that's good. You know what? That's a good question. Depending on what was going on, Mess could have a temper if we weren't playing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Koff has always had a little bit of a temper. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, guys were pretty even keeled. I mean, we didn't have a lot of guys with, that were high strung. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why we were good. Right. Yeah, you got to keep things in perspective, I guess, right? Yeah, Kevin, could, Kevin had a temper when things got going on the ice. Well, there's a nickname there, I there, believe. There's a reason... <laughs> Uh, how is it? How hard is it for you retiring from hockey? I was okay retiring. Yeah, the body was done. Yeah, I mean the mind was still good. I'd, if I'd gone with the mind side, I probably could have played another four or five years. Mm-hmm. But the body was done. That that's what made it easy to retire. Yeah, I know you said that before. Like, what did you go through sort of in the days, the weeks, the years after? Like, what was sort of the the adjustment phase? I was lucky. I jumped right into coaching. Mm-hmm. So. The year I retired, I ended up working with Calgary as goaltending consultant. So I know the first couple of weeks I retired, you're like, okay, I'm up. I'm supposed to be somewhere, and you're lost. Yeah. <laughs> but once I get into coaching, all of a sudden, you're back at the rink and everything. So the routine stayed the same mm-hmm. for, oh, geez, probably the first five years after I retired. Mm-hmm. And then I took a couple of years off just kind of get away from the game get a breather and then Gretz talked me into going to Phoenix and working there so I spent another six seven years there so it was an easy transition yeah what um what was sort of the biggest challenges you found with coaching you go from playing at a really high level to all of a sudden trying to teach other people how to play you don't control anything once the game starts Mm -hmm. as a player you control what happens during the game as a coach you control what happens up until the game so that was a little bit of a transition. I mean, in Calgary, we had veteran goalies, which was good. Mm-hmm. In Phoenix, we had veteran goalies. I mean, I was lucky enough to have Curtis Joseph there, so we could buy, bounce ideas off each other. And having played into my late 30s, I knew what he was going through, where you get tired sometimes and you have to have a day off. It's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. So it was easy because it was a mutual understanding. Yeah. Did Cujo and you ever talk about how he kind of ended up in Edmonton because you kind of replaced him in St. Louis? Well, I laugh. He came to Edmonton, and when I got to St. Louis, I'd missed the memo that he'd just been voted most popular player the year before. <laughs> so I didn't get that memo along the way somewhere, and we walked into a little bit of a firestorm to get started, but mm-hmm. it turned out good. Yeah. <laughs> we chased each other a few places. I was in Toronto after I was in Toronto, yeah. so... So he chased you more so. We covered some different cities together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what sports are you watching these days? What do you like to follow? I know you follow hockey quite I still closely. follow lots of hockey. Yeah. I'll follow the NFL. I follow a lot of golf, mm-hmm. men's and ladies. Mm-hmm. So I'm still a sports fanatic. 
Yeah, you've got friends in sort of all different sports, right? Does that keep it interesting? You guys can relate on stories? It does. I mean, I've got friends that have all played different sports. Football players, baseball players, basketball players. Mm -hmm. So that keeps my interest in those sports just because I know they've played and what they've gone through. And I'm a fan of sports, period. Yeah. So I'll even follow drag racing once in a while. No way. Yeah. Any kind of sport actually gets my attention. Yeah. I really enjoy hearing the interactions because like high level athletes in different sports seem to have a high admiration for one another, right? It's always sort of like that humble, like, no, 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 I don't know. I don't know how you guys do it. I like our job's easy. How do you do that? It's a mutual respect. Yeah. I think that's the fun part. You look at some of the guys that we're lucky enough to spend some time with that have played the different sports at real high levels. Mm-hmm. They've been champions. Some are in the hall of fame. And it's fun to just compare what they're thinking to what you were thinking when you were playing. And it's really not that dissimilar. Mm-hmm. What uh, what are you finding most interesting in, in pro sports now? Like in terms of the storylines, you know, there's athletes in politics. There's, you know, lower attendance at most major league sports around around North America. There's the outrageous contracts. There's the coaching <laughs> issues, you know. Like there's a lot of interesting storylines. And, and as a guy who comes from sort of more humble beginnings in terms of pro sports like what are you thinking these days I like the psychology side of sports mm-hmm. I mean I follow there's a gentleman that works for the San Francisco Giants Jim Aframow who I follow a lot of the stuff he posts on Twitter and we've had some communication back and forth he sent me a couple of books mm-hmm. so I like seeing the different sports psychology Bob Rotella I'm a big fan of Bob Rotella mm-hmm. who does a lot of the golfers and such just to see what a psychologist is thinking sports-wise and see how it relates to different athletes and different sports. Mm-hmm. I know you're a big believer in like the mental side of, of a sport is, is far greater than most people realize. The fun part of sport is it's 80% in your head. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one thing that can go wrong is the six inches between your ears. <laughs> Everybody's got talent when they get to the game. Mm-hmm. The guys that become stars think the game differently. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to play with Wayne... Mark Messier, guys like that who thought the game in a different way than everybody else. So you learn from guys like that and you kind of figure out your own way. And I figured out that the mind controls the body. Mm-hmm. If the mind works, the body works. If the body works, things happen. Yeah. And the challenge for coaches now is that people are, are all sort of realizing each individual player has their own psychological needs and process, right? And that's part of coaching now. You've got to figure out what makes everybody tick. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought that was the interesting part of coaching is, I mean, with goalies, it's easy because there's only two of them. So you have to figure out what makes each guy work. Yeah. But to talk to some of the other guys, you got guys learning how to score, how to compete, that sort of thing. Just figuring out what makes different guys tick mm-hmm. was actually the, a fun side of the game that when you're playing, you don't really think about it because all you're worried about is yourself. Yeah. But coaching, you have to figure out each guy a functional part of the team. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed that part of it. Who, uh, which athlete are you are you seeing nowadays that's just got unreal mental toughness? I'm a huge fan of Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a Packer fan for one. Yeah. But I've had the chance to know Aaron from his first year and got to know him a little bit, and just to see what he's done and see you see how he thinks the game and you see what he's done with the game. Whether they've got a good cast of receivers, whether they have an okay cast of receivers, mm-hmm. he finds a way to make it work, and I find that really interesting. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me that you gravitate towards him. Only one goalie on the ice per team, only yeah, one quarterback, quarterback on the, on the field per team, right? A lot of similarities there. Um, you played for a tough coach in Mike Keenan. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. Huh? 
What do you think about all this coaching stuff that's coming out now with with uh, Crawford and Peters and Babs? Well, you know what it is? I played in an old school era mm. where you got yelled at. That's part of it. It's part of trying to make you better. Mm-hmm. And feelings weren't an option back then. Right. And the fact that you see guys coming out now where they're, well, this happened 10 years ago. Guess what? You're trying to get better. They're trying to make you better. Some coaches are harder than others. I mean, Glenn Sather could be hard on guys. John Muckler could be hard on guys. Mm -hmm. But there was no gray area. You did it their way. You did it properly. You didn't get yelled at. Guess Mm -hmm. what? If you didn't do it right, you got yelled at. doesn't change that much. Yeah. If you do it properly, nobody's going to yell at you. Right. If you're basically dogging it a little bit, you're going to get yelled at. Mm-hmm. The fact that somebody might, oh, give you a little push on the back or something like that, it happens. <laughs> That's just the way coaches used to be. Yeah. But it's it's such a fine line, too. Like, you hear the guys on Spit and Chicklets talking about, uh, I think it was Whitney said he had a coach in college who, you know, came off the ice one shift and the coach just grabbed him by the cage and shook his head and said, what the fuck are you doing out there? And he said, it woke me up. It got me back into the game. And We were allowed to motivate that way. Yeah. I mean, you look at different guys. I mean, I played for Brian Sutter my last year mm-hmm. and a lot of guys thought he was a really hard coach. I thought he was fun to play for because it was black and white. Mm-hmm. Either you do it or you don't do it. And if you didn't do it, guess what? You got yelled at. Mm-hmm. Might even got whacked with a stick. Shit happens. Yeah. But you knew where you stood. Yeah. Whereas now, you're so worried about guys' feelings and that sort of thing, they're actually missing out on becoming better athletes. Yeah. It's certainly a Pandora's box, right? Like It is. Like, you know what? The biggest thing I've noticed is it's guys that are maybe disappointed in where their careers went, mm. where all of a sudden it's a coach's fault. Right. Instead of maybe owning it themselves and saying, hey, yeah, there's lines that maybe some coaches crossed. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. The racial side of it, yeah, you can't cross that line. Yeah. But at the same time, you can be hard on a player mm-hmm. because you're trying to push that player to be better. Yeah, and like you said, if it's if it's black and white, if it's like, look, you're not doing your job that you agreed when you signed here and that you and I talked about, you're not doing that, I'm going to yell at you. Oh, yeah, and it's going to be a profanity-laced tirade because that's just the way it works. <laughs> Depending on elo- how eloquent the coach seems to be, right? If there, there's elegant ways of swearing at you. Yeah. <laughs> Boost but the message drop. is the same. Yeah. I mean, and like... I'm a believer that a certain amount of time passes and you can't really hold people uh, beholden to their mistakes from from certain periods ago. But a thing like racism, like the Bill Peters thing, that was 09. It's not like this was 1970. That's not that long ago. Exactly. So that part of it's unacceptable. But a lot of people say, oh, it's 10 years ago, like inferring that that's a long time. But I'm like, yeah, but even if 10 years is a long time, it's 09. Let's in the context. Like, no racial slur was, was even somewhat deemed okay versus, like, no. 1960, you that's, know? That's, that was never okay in the 60s. Yeah. Let alone the 70s, 80s, 90s, up until today. Mm-hmm. So that side of it's not okay. Yeah. But, I mean, the yelling at somebody because they're not getting the job done, no. I have no issues with that. It, there's going to be, yeah, you're going to get insulted personally once in a while. Mm-hmm. That happens. That's part of being a professional athlete. The fact that some guys take it right to heart and personal mm-hmm. they cross the line of being an athlete and taking it personally you're going to get yelled at shit happens yeah you just have to let that roll off your back and away you go i think there's there's also a difference too between like yelling and and holding someone accountable versus like belittling them right yeah, like I mean, the belittling belittling part of it 
Nobody wants to be belittled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to get embarrassed in front of your teammates sometime. Guess what? Makes you a better player. Keeps the ego down. <laughs> well, it's, I've played on teams where there's a sign as you walk in the door. Check your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. And if you have to be browbeat a little bit to have that happen because some guys carry a big ego. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. That's part of professional sports. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a former player watching hockey now, what's that like for you? Do you consider yourself like a diehard Oilers fan? Are you more of a fan of the players of the game versus a particular team? I'm still a diehard Oilers fan. Excellent to hear. But a fan of all goalies. Yeah. (laughs) More than anything. I think the game's getting back to where it used to be, where goalies are becoming mobile again. It's an offensive game again. Mm -hmm. So it's becoming more fun to watch. Yeah. And I think the league's done a good job of that. Mm -hmm. For a while, it seemed like the goalies were just so technical, right? There was not a lot of spectacular saves made. It was they're in the right position. and. And they get beat on a rebound, kind of. All percentages. Yeah. I mean, they went to a point where, with all the clutching and grabbing, you could play percentages. Mm -hmm. Everything was coming off an angle. You butterflied. You made the save. You didn't worry about rebounds. Mm -hmm. Well, you take the hooking and holding away. All of a sudden, guys have to become mobile again. And if you're looking, scores are going up again. Mm -hmm. Because you're going through a transition now where guys that are big bodies that maybe aren't that mobile are having a tougher time playing. Right. So it's just in, the game's in a transition again, goalie-wise. So for a while, you saw an increase in height. Like you're getting these six five, six six, and six seven goaltenders. You think that's coming back down? It's going to. Yeah. I mean, everybody's worried about. Well, he's not big enough. Hmm. When I was coaching, I don't really care if you're big or not. I want to know can you stop the puck? Yeah. And that's the bottom line as a goalie. You don't have to be six foot five to stop the puck. I'm five nine. I seem to get hit often enough. So. <laughs> If you can stop the puck, I don't care what size you are. Yeah. And it, it, the game should get back to more of that. Mm-hmm. Who do you like watching nowadays? Who's your favorite couple goalies to watch? I'm still a huge fan of Carey Price. Yeah. And I still think he's one of the best in the game. Uh, Pekka Rene's good. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy watching him. Bennington's been great in St. Louis. Yeah. What a story. I, it's a phenomenal story, and it's curious. It's fun to watch and see how he progresses. Mm-hmm. You look, the different teams all have different situations. I mean, Toronto's coming in here tomorrow night, and you read and you watch and you look, and they're all worried about managing Freddie Anderson. Mm-hmm. Freddie Anderson's a good athlete. In my view, he could probably play 65, maybe 70 games. He just mm-hmm. manages time properly. Right. But they're all worried about why he could get tired. And it's like, tired's a state of mind. Yeah. It's all about managing practice time and everything that goes into it. Mm-hmm. How big of a factor is it, like, now you said the scores are going up, a goalie who might have been in the league for 10 years has to adjust to that, right? Like like 10 years ago, he might have let in three goals in a game, and that was game over for him. But now, you know, your two goals, we've seen some tremendous comebacks this year. Like Oilers have been down and caught up, though they've ended up losing the game the last two games. But it just seems like no lead is safe this this year. So you probably, as a goalie, have to have that mentality of not letting that, that next goal get you down. The best thing you can have is a short memory. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, once a goal goes in, there's nothing you can do about it, so you let it go. But a lot of what you're seeing is you want a guy that can make the right save at the right time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, okay, he gave up three or four goals. But in a 4-4 game, can he make that save to get you to a 5-4 lead? Mm-hmm. And I've always been a big believer. If you see guys, when it, the game's on the line, mm-hmm. can they make that save? You look at guys like Billy Smith, all your money goalies, Patrick Waugh, mm-hmm. they all could make that save when they had to. Right. Didn't matter if it was a nine eight game, a two one game. If it came down to the last five minutes and they had to make that save, they could make that save. 
Smith and Koskinen have seemed to kind of fall off a little in the last few weeks. What do you see in there? Well, I think they carried the team for the first month. Yeah. I mean, you look how good they were for the first month. There's going to be a flat spot somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, is it unfortunate they're both having it at the same time? That happens. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be fine. I mean, they're both great goalies, and they both are... Smitty's, what, 37, 38? Mm-hmm. He's a veteran guy. He knows. It's not going to stay that way. Right. And Koskinen, I'm impressed with what he's done since last year. Yeah, no he's, kidding. He's gotten better. It hasn't let it bother his confidence. Mm-hmm. And I think he's just going to get better and better. Mm-hmm. As as an older goalie, in your experience, did you, did you find that, like you said, Smith's been there before, but does that age factor start creeping in to make you think like, Maybe I can't do this anymore. Do you get some self-doubt in there? No, because if you get self-doubt, you get run out of the game pretty quickly. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing that people don't realize. Once you get to be 37, 38, you have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Because going in, everybody's doubting you. Mm-hmm. And I know the last couple of years I played, everybody's like, well, he's 37, he's 38. You've been remodeled, put back together again a few times. Can he still play? Mm-hmm. Well, you have to believe in yourself. And somebody's pretty good about that. He's a good goalie. He's got a lot of talent, and he's healthy. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing, is at 37, 38, if you're healthy, you can definitely still play. You're also a little bit smarter. Yeah. What was your, did you prefer when people were doubting you, or did you prefer when people were calling you great? I loved it when they doubted me. Yeah. I mean, that's just extra motivation. Of course. So, that was the fun of going to St. Louis. Everybody doubted me when I got to St. Louis. <laughs> it just gives you that little extra that sometimes you need a push when you're tired. And all you do is remember that, okay everybody's doubting you and it just gives you that extra little boost yeah it's like let's prove them wrong versus prove them right way more fun to prove people wrong absolutely um, how did the goaltender training evolve during your time in the league and then how has it evolved to today training back when I started was figured out on your own <laughs> I, mean, I was my own goalie coach for my first oh 10 11 years mm-hmm. so you learn the game on your own you figured it out I mean I was lucky enough to have good partners mm-hmm. Between Ronnie Lowe, Eddie Mio, Andy Moog, where we could bounce stuff off each other. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you were left to figure it out on your own. Yeah. So if you were going through a tough stretch, figure it out. Yeah. Like, what was your resource other than your partner? Like, that was your you resource. Call, did you call up another goalie from the other conference and say, "Hey, what are you doing in this situation?" Oh no, that's that was your resource. That's you had to figure it out on your own. That's unbelievable. So I think as the game went along. They've brought in goalie coaches. Mm-hmm. You've brought in trainers now. I mean, we used to stretch. Mm-hmm. I think we were one of the first teams to bring bikes and stuff in, which yeah. I was never a fan. I enjoyed playing a lot more than that. But yeah. at the same time, fitness got better. And I know when I got to St. Louis, being an older goalie, we brought in Bobby Kersey. Mm. And that did wonders for my career because, yeah, I was athletically good. Mm-hmm but I've never been pushed to be a good athlete. Mm-hmm. And working with Bobby and wrecking a knee and having to have it reconstructed and play again, getting to see Bobby get to train with his wife, Jackie, mm-hmm. who's probably the best female athlete ever, mm-hmm. and seeing what a good athlete was, you realized how much room there was for improvement. Right. That, that's got to be eye-opening, right? Like being in the presence of other tremendous athletes, it's like, well, i got to step my game up, right? Oh, I, I knew I was athletically good, mm-hmm. I just didn't realize how bad of an athlete I really was. <laughs> but you get to train with them and you get to see how much potential there was, even as I was old by that point, Yeah, how much better I could be. Yeah, like you said, check your ego at the door, right? No matter how wise you are, there's still more to learn. It's always about getting better, even coaching. You yeah. learn from watching guys play and just a different view of the game. Mm-hmm. You're always learning. 
So what year did you get your first goalie coach? Uh, I got my first goalie coach in Buffalo. <laughs> so like, Mitchie Korn was my first goalie coach. More than halfway through the year. Or yeah, your career. about halfway through my career already. <laughs> so you, you go into Buffalo, you've got this goalie coach now, and you've already won five Stanley Cups. <laughs> what does this guy say to you? I actually enjoy talking to him because he sees it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So, and you're never too old to learn. Yeah. And talking to Mitch and doing some different things with Mitch, you can add different things to your game, and mm-hmm. that's what extends your career. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, at that point, I could have said, okay, I've accomplished enough, I could get out, but there was still room to get better. Mm-hmm. And picking his brain allowed me to add different things to my game, which probably added an extra seven, eight years to my career. Yeah, that's incredible. It's got those those other teams, the staff on those teams, the other players, they just must have been salivating when they got an Oiler traded to their team because you guys had such a dynasty that it's like, finally, you're on our team. What's the secret? What's the secret sauce? You know? Well, it's funny. I get, first year I get traded to Toronto, I went with Glennie, Craig Berube. So a couple of bodies to go along there. I get yeah. shipped to Buffalo. Muck's there. Yeah. So pretty comfortable there. I go to LA. I think there's six or seven of us from Edmonton that were in LA at that time. <laughs> I go to St. Louis. They bring Gretz in. Al McKinnis is already there. Yeah. Dale Howarchuk's there. Yeah. Andy ended up there too. Andy right? was there. Yeah. So we traveled as a group. Yeah. It must. Did you guys ever like on your new teams kind of reminisce about the old days and ever have the new te- guys be like, "Yeah, we get it. You won all those cups." No, because you're always pushing everybody to try and win again. Right. Yeah. That kind of was kind of our role to try and make guys be better around you. It would be really hard not to say, well, back in Edmonton, we did this, because you know that's going to piss people off, but really, like, that's all you have to go on. Yeah, but there's always, it's a new group, so you have to adjust to a new group, and Mm -hmm. you look at what your strengths are, you look at what your weaknesses are, and you try and run with the strengths. Yeah. Yeah, getting traded can't be easy. I mean, you're walking in a completely unknown situation. You've got different personalities. You've got a whole different team identity. Um... How did those trades go down? So Toronto, Buffalo, L.A.? It's after after the first time. Yeah. I mean, the first time I got traded, that was a little bit of a shock because mm-hmm. I figured I'd probably play my whole career at Edmonton. But yeah. needless to say, once Gretz got traded, I knew that wasn't Open season. <laughs> so you know you're leaving. Yeah. But no, as a kid growing up, three, four, five years old, I was a Leaf fan. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go somewhere, Toronto was a great place for me. Yeah. Because then I, all of a sudden I got to be a Maple Leaf. Mm-hmm. And that kind of offset everything else. Now you just want to make an impression in Toronto. Yeah. And we weren't a very good team at that time. Mm-hmm. But Cliff Fletcher, who you knew from all the Calgary days, was trying to build a good team. Mm-hmm. So that made it a lot easier. And then how long before you got shipped to Buffalo? Uh, what, two and a half years. Two and a half years. They needed a goal scorer for a playoff run. And mm-hmm. off to Buffalo I went, and they brought in Dave Andrichuk. Yeah. Which, going to Buffalo was easy because Muck was there. Yeah. So lots of experience with Mock. I knew what I was getting myself into there. Yeah. You got to play with the young Hasek there. And Dom was already there, which yeah. surprised me a little bit that he'd trade for me with Dom there. Was he good when you got there? He was good long before I ever got there. Really? He was good when he was in Chicago. Yeah. And we got to see him in the Canada Cups. Yeah. So I knew going into Buffalo how good Dom was. And Buffalo is thinking, we got two A goaltenders here. Yeah. And it worked out great. Yeah. Dom was phenomenal. Did he learn anything from you? Did you learn anything from him? It was a good compliment. We both like to work hard in practice. Yeah. So I think that was the fun part is we didn't want anybody to score. Yeah. <laughs> it so just didn't work out for the teammates. <laughs> it made everybody around us have to work that much harder. So that part was good. I was, yeah, I was going to ask you another, who is who's the most frustrating player to play with in practice? 
nobody really frustrating to play with. Yeah. A lot of guys that had talent. I mean, mm-hmm. in Edmonton, it was all about scoring. Mm-hmm. So that, you could get lit up one day and be frustrated because you couldn't stop anybody. Yeah. Buffalo, we had Alex McGillney, Patty Lafontaine. Mm-hmm. Same thing. They wanted to score. Mm-hmm. When I get to St. Louis, guys wanted to score. Mm-hmm. So it was Toronto, some dragged a little bit because we had Tommy Watt as a coach. Mm-hmm. And it was more about the theory of the game and system. Mm-hmm. So practices, for from a goalie sense, sometimes dragged a little bit. Right. But the gist of it, you learn a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think I learned a lot of different things about the different systems and such. Right. How you had to play. Because we weren't very talented, so we had to win a different way. Right. So you learn different ways with different coaches. Yeah. Like if a goaltender had his way in practice, you'd probably just want to scrimmage all the time. Oh no, shots. Shots. Different drills. Yeah. <laughs> you get your three on two, your five on two, two on ones. That's a goalie's paradise in practice. Yeah. So you talked about Toronto a little bit, you talked about Buffalo. So what was the identity going into um, LA, St. Louis, and, and then Calgary? LA surprised me a little bit because Kelly Rudy at that time was having a career year. Mm-hmm. So I that one was a shock going to LA. But Gretz was there, Charlie Huddy was there, Koff mm-hmm. was there, Yari was there. <laughs> So it was an easy transition in. Yeah. But with Kelly playing as well as he was, that was kind of like, okay, not really sure where I fit, mm-hmm. but we'll just go make the best of it. And it gives me an opportunity to play knowing that my contract was going to be up Yeah. to see if I could fit somewhere else. Mm-hmm. What was it like getting that call from, uh, who'd you get the call from for St. Louis? Mike Keenan. He called you directly. He, he called me at home. Yeah. Because if I remember right, the draft was in Edmonton. Okay. And he asked me, what are you doing? sitting at home not doing much right now mm-hmm. would you come to St. Louis I'm like yeah actually what he said was if I gave you a million dollars would you come to St. Louis I was like yes <laughs> I can do that did you have the right number <laughs> yeah I'll but come. I missed the memo that Curtis was the most popular player of the year before I he left that part out yeah so well it didn't take you long to uh, take that title I'm sure just from spending time in St. Louis with you like they're diehards there like St. Louis but, is a good sports town well, I used to laugh. I used to think of it as just a big Canadian city. Yeah. <laughs> they live, breathe, and die hockey. Yeah. Even though they had baseball, they had football at that time, mm-hmm. they still love their hockey. Yeah. Which made it fun to play in. Yeah. Yeah, you guys had a, a damn good team that year. We had a couple of years we had a team that had a chance to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you miss most about playing? Yeah, probably just being around the guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're so used to seeing the guys every day. You're on a certain routine, you're in the dressing room, lots of laughs. That's the biggest thing you miss from the game, mm-hmm. just being around the guys. But lucky enough now, running around playing golf tournaments, it's like having your own team. You're seeing yeah. different guys from different sports that are all in the same boat. Yeah. So we have a lot of fun hanging out with each other. Yeah, that's. I think that's the most common answer I hear from, from, from all hockey players, is just hanging out with the guys. And there's so many great stories from those years. And what are some of your favorite stories? I think just the guys I got to play with. Yeah. I mean, we enjoyed being with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, Glenn told us when we were 18 years old that this is going to be your family. Yeah. You'll see those, you'll see these guys more than you'll ever see your family. And in hockey, it was true. So you miss being around that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know when I first retired, the first couple of days, you're like, okay, I know I should be somewhere. <laughs> I was lucky enough to go right into coaching. Yeah. And you're back with the guys again. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the biggest thing you miss out of the game. Yeah. 
well, we'd be, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Slats a little bit. I don't think people realize how integral he was, not only the hockey element of the Oilers, but also just the, the community element and, and how he shaped you guys as people, not just players. It was. He, let it, he wanted us to grow as players, but he wanted us to grow more as people. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably the biggest takeaway from Edmonton is he would let you grow. He gave us enough rope to hang ourselves, yeah. <laughs> but would always yank on that rope just before we did. But he wanted us to be accountable to the community. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody used to laugh. They're like, well, how did you guys hide in Edmonton? We hid in plain sight. Mm-hmm. He wanted us to be a part of the community. You went out, you socialized with people. There was no hiding from anybody. Yeah. If you played bad, guess what? You're accountable. Mm-hmm. Get out and go to the restaurants and have dinner. Mm-hmm. You're accountable. Somebody asks you a question, answer the question. Yeah, it's the so, best, best way to live, right? Yeah. So we learned to be good people. Mm-hmm. And he taught us you have to be a good person. And you get a lot more leeway when you are playing bad if you are a good person. Right. Yeah, the New Zealand All Blacks have a saying, their slogan is, uh, the best people make the best All Blacks. And they're famous. They'll cut a super talented rugby player if, you're if, a bad person, if, he's, you're a, if he's a dickhead, right? Yeah. Same thing here. Yeah. Slot said, if you don't fit, guess what? Doesn't matter how good you are, you're out. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's changed in the league today? I think it's changed, actually, I think it's changed a lot. Yeah. You see a lot, a lot of the teams, the players now, don't spend time in the community as much. Like, I mean, there's no sauntering off to the bars and such now. Yeah. Where that's where we used to hide. Mm-hmm. You're just part of the people. Nobody had to hide. I have to correct you on that because I do, I do live a life in the nightlife working. I see those guys out, not a ton, not all the time, but they're still out there, there's, right? They're out more. Yeah. But they're always really well taken care of by the establishments, right? They've got their section or they've got, you know, in the back door, so it's quieter. And we didn't have to do that. Yeah. We could saunter in through the front door. You were just part of the people. How happy are you that there was no cell phone cameras back then? Like, no. Oh, hell. <laughs> it's a good thing there was no social media back then, period. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, if something came out in the newspaper, you could just throw the paper away, right? It's not blasted in your face 24 7. Wasn't <laughs> But yeah, it, it would have been a whole different game if there was social media. Yeah. I mean, I know coaches in Phoenix, you tell the kids, the minute you walk out your front door, just assume you're on camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, it's the unfortunate side of technology is you've taken away some of the character of some of the guys and some of the teams. Yeah. Yeah, because you see like the odd time they're just interacting, no cameras around. You know, like, I wish they, you know, I wish they were comfortable to be like that all the yeah. time. And you get that handful of fans that make it bad for everybody. Mm-hmm where they want to find something bad about a player. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate side of it. Do you think it feeds the ego a little bit more, like having them be on camera all the time, having them treated like such celebrities and not just, you know, athletes of the community? It can. I mean, it, it can change things a little bit, but I think it also makes it where you're not quite as accountable because mm-hmm. you're going to be on guard the whole time. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're just a normal person, people say, hey, if you're out at dinner and you're bad, people say, hey, why were you bad? <laughs> you're in a grocery store, somebody wants to know why things aren't going well. You were accountable. You had to answer for it. Mm-hmm. Whereas now with social media and everything, guy has a bad day, you're not going to see him anywhere. Yeah. He just gets up, you look at your phone, you're like, oh, it's not going to be a good day. And you can go into hiding. Yeah, but it's toxic. Like some guys can't help but look at you know all the comments and mentions in social media oh yeah well, I have fun with it in social media now I'll every now and then oh I see you get into saunter it along and 
somebody will make a stupid comment yeah. and I'll bait them along just long enough that the rest of, that the vultures all set in and then yeah. I just disappear <laughs> yeah just post and put it down just forget about it your yeah, life exists you just, outside of that phone once you've got somebody hooked you just let it go your, your comedy on social media you're funny to follow <laughs> yeah, we're nice we just kill them with kindness yeah <laughs> Slats was famous for his uh, so called carrots that he would dangle his little incentives did he have any with you in particular no, it was more team-wise. Yeah. I mean, we'd always, there was the trip to Hawaii, or there'd always be some little perk. Mm -hmm. I would be at golf clubs the one year, and there was always little perks along the way. Trip to Palm Springs. Yeah. So they always had little incentives for us. And he knew the, he knew the golf ones worked well with you. Oh, it worked well with everybody. <laughs> I mean, we'd play in L.A., and he'd be like, well, if you guys ever want to go back to Palm Springs again, it might be a really good night to win. And he'd be like, four days of not having to practice, and you get to play golf. <laughs> Guys were pretty good that night. Yeah. So. And you can bet he was probably measuring the results you guys had after those little incentives. Oh, you knew exactly he was measuring everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything Slats did was calculated. It's yeah. it, it's so it, the legend of him grows and grows. He's a guy I'd love to do a documentary on. Well, it was fun because he was like a father figure to us, mm -hmm. where he knew enough that if he led you down a path, that you would eventually figure it out on your own. Yeah. But he would guide you to that path. Mm -hmm. If. You decided to step the wrong way he would let you step the wrong way to figure out that that's not very much fun mm -hmm. so yeah no he knew how to incentivize punish and, and motivate that's for sure all with a smile oh really that's oh, yeah. even scarier oh yeah it was always with a smile so what you know I, you sidestepped the question before Grant what are some of your favorite stories from your playing days you know gags things players did nights out roommates oh I all the above. I had great roommates. Yeah. I, mean, I spent the first seven years with Kevin McClellan. Mm -hmm. So he was a great roommate. But the fun part was our nights out were always as a group. Mm -hmm. like you didn't have to worry about, well, I'm going to sneak out by myself tonight because there'd always be 10 guys there before you. Yeah. And I think that was the great part about our team is we did everything together. I mean, if the guys went to the bar, they went to the bar as a team. Mm -hmm. If you had the Stanley Cup and it was going to a party, it went to the party as a team. Yeah. So I mean, we as a young group, it was it was spectacular to have twenty friends everywhere you went. Right. Yeah, it's it's that team kind of tribe mentality, right? It, and it made things easier. Mm -hmm. I mean, one, nobody's going to yell at you in the bar if you got twenty guys there. Yeah. So you're accountable to your other nineteen teammates. <laughs> what about um, what about when you roomed with Freddie Brathwaite? Freddie B was awesome. He told us a good story. Do you remember that one? What well, I first got traded. We're gonna get traded. Ship my last year to Calgary. Yeah. So I flew into Phoenix to meet the team, and Freddie's my roommate. He'd already ordered cheeseburgers and such, <laughs> knowing that I like to have a late night snack once in a while. So I got to the room. He had cheeseburgers and everything waiting in the room. Yeah. So that was our opening volley. Good guy. Great good, guy. Good way to start. That was he, fun. He said when when you guys roomed together, you know, you were kind of at the end of his career. He was starting or your career. He was starting his career. He liked to go out a little bit. So. You weren't going out as much. He said that, do uh, you remember what he said to us? No. He said that you, you, would, always, you would always put candy bar wrappers in his bed. You know when he's getting home because you walk in the door, there might be a wrapper or two. Yeah. Climb into bed, might be some wrappers. You're just making sure he gets home all right. He said he would get in and crinkle, 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 and he'd hear you from the other bed. Start laughing. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had fun. What about uh, what about your Mountain Dew uh, story from St. Louis? 
I liked, well, when I knew I wasn't playing, I yeah. liked that Mountain Dew. Yeah. So, even <laughs> when I was playing, I liked that Mountain Dew. And that's just one of those things. But who was playing? Jamie McLennan played one night. Mm-hmm. And he came to the bench to get some water to spray his face. And just to have some fun, we handed him the Mountain Dew water bottle. <laughs> So he kind of washed his face a little Mountain Dew, and it kind of shocked him a little bit. Yeah. Sticky for the rest of the game. A little sticky. How do you play after that? But good after that. Yeah. Woke him up. But you got to have some fun while you're playing, too. Yeah, absolutely. So what's going on in your golf life these days? My golf life these days, what am I doing? Uh, Let's see. I still run the golf course in Palm Springs. Trying to play a little bit now. Still, Mm -hmm. Still have competitive drive. Yeah. So we just actually just got back from a tournament in Bermuda, mm-hmm. in a pro event over there, the Gosling's Invitational, and managed to finish 34th there mm-hmm. out of, what, 120 people. So okay. that wasn't bad. So I'm still trying to play a little bit competitively and forever trying to get better. Yes. Yeah. competitive nature, and it's something that I compete at with myself. Mm-hmm. So it, it fills that void. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Are you, like, do you just play a lot? Are you still practicing? Actually, this year I've started practicing again. The yeah. body's healed enough now that it feels good enough that I can practice again. So we've, what would you say, last three months at least, we started to practice a little bit again. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm spending more time on the driving range and more time on the golf course. Yeah, that's good. You run you run a pretty diverse crowd um, with your golf buddies. You've got... We have an eclectic group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every time I see you down in Palm Springs, you've got just the you know people from all walks of life around. It makes we, it super interesting. What's fun? We have a little of everything. Yeah, I mean, the fun part is most of them are Canadians. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got former NFL quarterbacks. You've got reality TV stars that you hang out with. We got guys that are ex-firemen. Guys that are nomads. Guys that've been in the car business. Mm-hmm. We got we got a little of everything going on. Yeah. Who's your favorite guy to golf with? Yeah, Jim McMahon and I get along really well. So yeah. he's always fun to play with. Uh, who else do I enjoy playing with? Marshall Falk's fun to play with. Mm-hmm. I mean, Seth Joyner's fun to play with. Uh, Charles Barkley's obviously a very good laugh to play with. No, I'm sure. <laughs> so out of those guys you listed, do they all take it as seriously as you? Um, Not really. No? I'm probably still the most serious of the bunch. <laughs> but... I still like to try, and every now and then I'll see if I can push myself to play the young guys still that are actually trying to make it. Yeah. So I'll play the odd tournament where, just to see, I know how good they are, mm-hmm. just to see if I can push myself to get somewhere near. Mm-hmm. Where's your Where's your favorite destination to go golfing? Uh, either Exuma in the Bahamas or Bermuda. Bermuda, yeah. Bermuda's in my top two for sure. That's where you just were, right? We, just, we were just there for 10 days. Yeah. The golf courses are spectacular. Mm-hmm. People are as friendly as could be. Mm-hmm. But you're right in the triangle. You're not worried about getting lost? I'm lost all the time. So. <laughs> no, I... You read all the stories and such, I never worry about it. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. So, you got your favorite person to golf with. Who's your favorite person to go out? Like, who's the guy that you go out with one for one drink and you end up coming back to the room at like 3 a.m.? Probably back. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Jimmy Mack and I will... Always meet at the end of the bar. It's, it's been that way for 25 years. He knows where to find me. I, If I'm there first, I go to the end of the bar, get a seat at the end of the bar. And Lisa will tell you that hasn't changed. I still, when I go to the bar, I want to find my seat at the end of the bar. Yeah. That, that doesn't change. He's got some unreal stories. I mean, that guy, that guy needs his own documentary. 
Max should have a documentary. Yeah. There's no question about that. He is priceless. Well, I know a guy who makes them, so we might be able to... I might know a couple of guys who are doing that now. <laughs> yeah, he is one of a kind. Grant, you've accomplished like a ton in your life. Um, what are some things that still remain left for you to do? What are you hoping to do still? Uh, we just started a foundation, so I think the biggest thing is probably leaving life better than when I walked into it. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing left to accomplish. I, yeah, I'd still like to do something reasonable in golf, but... Mm -hmm. Apparently the clock's taking the wrong direction, so that might not be an option. But I think as long as you leave life as a better person, yeah, and you you try to get to be a better person every day. That's yeah. that's the biggest accomplishment I have right now. Do you still have any mentors in that sense? People that you're kind of always learning from? All the different athletes I get to hang out with. Yeah, I mean I'm lucky enough. I've got to see some of the best athletes in the world. One of them every day. Yeah. So you spend time with Gretz. You get to see guys like Michael Jordan. You get to see the best athletes in the, of every sport, mm -hmm. and to see how they carry themselves and such. It's always a learning process. Yeah, no doubt. So, out of all your ex teammates, who do you want to most see a documentary be done on? Of my ex teammates. Yeah. Let's see. Mess would probably be a pretty good one. Yeah. Kenny Linsman would be definitely interesting. Yeah. Marty would be most entertaining. <laughs> Is Marty so, still acting? If that's what you'd like to call it, yes. <laughs> Marty was always an actor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the fun part of our group. We had a lot of guys that you could do documentaries on because everybody was different yeah. in their own way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Marty, I, I couldn't believe all the movies he was telling me he was in. Con Air, Bad Boys. Oh, no, he's done bit pieces all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> So we give him a hard time telling me he was acting as a player. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, Grant, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, have fun at the game tomorrow. And uh, good luck with the rest of the golf career. We will have fun with it. And thank you, Shane. Hey, no problem. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into the show. Huge thanks to Grant for taking the time to chat on one of his brief trips to town. This podcast and many others are made possible by the Alberta Podcast Network. They host and support a wide range of Alberta-made podcasts. One of my favorite being Speaking Municipally. Taproot Edmonton presents a weekly discussion on key stories in municipal politics. They pay attention to Edmonton City Council so you don't have to. Listen along as they delve into conversations about the context surrounding decisions made at City Hall. Hosted by Troy Pavlik and Mac Mail, you can find the podcast at speakingmunicipally.taprootedmonton.ca and of course in the show notes below if that was too quick for you. That's it for the show today. We'll see you next time.